Open your Bibles to Genesis 22. Could you stand with me and honor God's word? I want to talk about Father Abraham. Thought it was appropriate on Father's Day. As always, I was digging deep so I could maybe share some things about Abraham that you'd not heard, challenge you in the process. So all this summer, we're taking Bible heroes and we're digging deep in the word. Our children are going to be studying the same Bible heroes at the same time. Genesis 22 is my favorite account of Abraham. So let's begin reading in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, and took, his, took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up, saw the place in the distance, stay here with the donkey. Abraham told his servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have, wood. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up, saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So we took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh, uh, Yaira, or uh, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide or God our provider to this day. People still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it'll be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Father God, next to you, I cannot think of a greater example of fatherhood in all of scripture. It's no wonder that Abraham was called the father of our faith. It was his obedience that made him so. It's no wonder why you used him so greatly. How could you not use a man with a heart like this? Father, I ask that you would reveal a portion of your heart through Abraham today as we look at him. Father, I ask that we would grow and that our hearts would enlarge as we look at such an example. 
God, I thank you that your word's going out. It's not going to return void. It's going to accomplish the very purpose for which you sent it. Accomplish your word in us this morning, we ask, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thought it appropriate to choose Abraham on Father's Day, and there are so many portions of Scripture, old and new, that speak of the faith of Father Abraham. Really, nobody quite like Abraham. Abraham had to believe God beyond the ability of his own body. How many of you are dominated by how you feel about your body, how you think about your body, yet Abraham had to believe God beyond his body's ability? The thought of two people as old as Abraham and Sarah having a baby was laughable, so much so that when they did conceive, they named him Isaac, and Isaac's name means laughter. For me, as crazy as it sounds, Abraham's faith is best seen here in Genesis 22 when he was willing to sacrifice his only son. Genesis 22 in Jewish tradition is known as the Akedah, or the binding of Isaac, and it comes from the word tied or bound in verse 9. But before we go any further in this study, I just want you to, to, to put yourself in this moment now, most people in that day and in that age got married very young. Let's say Abraham and Sarah were married around 13, 14. Could not have children all those years. And I know you're thinking, well, you know, they sinned so greatly by Sarah saying, take my servant Hagar and, and sleep with her. But think about all the time that had went by and think about all of the challenges that must have come up against their faith. This is what God's spoken. We're still believing it hasn't happened. And because Abraham slept with Hagar and Ishmael was birthed, we have two nations that are still at war because of it today. Yet isn't it amazing that in Genesis 22, the Lord said, take now your son, your only son, even though Ishmael was alive and had been born, God said to Abraham, take now your, your, your only son. The faith of Abraham and Sarah is, is amazing. Yes, they try to take matters into their own hands as we often do. And wouldn't we do better just to wait on God's word? God, you said it, I'm gonna wait for it, I'm gonna believe for it. So imagine them being about 100 years old. If they got married as young teenagers, they're now about 100 years old, and finally the baby arrives, and then God asks them to sacrifice the child of promise that they've been waiting for probably 80-plus years for. Put yourself in their shoes. We can't wait a week, a month, a year. And they waited over 80 years for this child to come from their bodies, the thought of it was so crazy, Sarah laughed and then denied it. And the angel said, no, 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 you did laugh. And they named the boy laughter. And yet God's asking for them now to sacrifice this, this child that they had been waiting so long for. God, are you serious? Are you kidding? Lord, no. Anything. Anything but this. 
What kind of, what kind of God would ask such a thing? Yet we find no such struggle with Abraham in Scripture anywhere. None. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham believed that if he had to kill his son, God would raise him from the dead. So, I mean, he wasn't, you know, hesitating when he had the knife. And God, knowing his heart, knew he wasn't hesitating. Stop. Don't harm the boy. Now I know you truly fear God. With Abraham, I see a love that's so profound and so deep for God that I can scarcely grasp and comprehend it. We have three boys, and the thought of losing any one of them is terrifying to me. I can't imagine God asking for one of them. To have one and to have waited so long and then have God ask for them, it's amazing. I cannot think of a better account in Scripture of a father's heart, a true father's heart and so here the challenge always goes between us and God are there things in our life that we love more than God and can we justify I mean could anybody's love for their children be stronger than Abraham's love for his son Isaac after he waited some 80 plus years to have a son can you imagine So let's look at this account here. Notice that God asked for what Abraham loved so much, I believe, because he desired to use him so much. I believe that there are tests that come in our life that are just God's way of finding out how much we really love him. I'm so grateful that God never asked me to go through a test like this. I don't know how well I would have done or how I would have fared. I believe God has to know we love him more than anything he could ever bless us with. How many people have you seen get shipwrecked because they've been praying for something, praying for something, and then the answer to prayer came, and all of a sudden, they stopped praying. It's almost like people use God to get what they want from God, and once God gives them what they wanted for so long, they're no longer grateful to God, even though he provided what they were asking him for. I think God needs to know that we love him more than anything he could ever bless us with. Do you have things in your mind that you think, man, if I had this, if I had that, if I, oh, man, would I be happy or would I be grateful? Even if it's a child that you believed for for over 80 years, what absolutely blows my mind is that in Scripture, God told him to go offer Isaac as a burnt offering And Abraham told his servants that were with him that the lad and I are going to go yonder and worship and we'll come back to you. What God called a burnt offering, Abraham called worship. Really should give you a clue as to what God considers to be real and genuine worship, which is probably the depth of our study here. With Abraham as our example, real worship must therefore consist of giving God what we love the most, not the least or what's left over. Worship is where you give God what you love the most. And you want to know why a lot of people have a hard time worshiping? Because they love themselves more than God. What are you doing during a worship service? Are you looking around to see how other people are worshiping or are you worshiping? Are you noticing the band? 
Are you noticing the people to the right or the left? Is it the part of the service that you really don't want to be a part of? It's because oftentimes we love ourselves more than we love God, and we just aren't like that. It's just not who we are. I mean, it's just so uncomfortable for us to raise our hands or, or to get on our knees or, or to allow ourselves to be so emotionally out of control that a tear would roll down our cheek in genuine worship. It's just too uncomfortable. I mean, what kind of God would, would elicit such a response with music that would move upon your heart so that you would feel compelled to raise your hand or to bow your knee or to shed a tear? Again, God's not asking for what you'd prefer to give him. He's asking for what you love the most. God's not asking for what's left over or what's convenient or what's easiest. He's asking for what you love the most. That's what worship is. And worship can be uncomfortable because it is holy and completely for God and not for you. And you've got to shed it all to give it all. And there are breakthroughs that you will never know until you totally surrender and completely abandon yourself in worship. Who cares what anybody else thinks? You're in church. What are they going to think that you love God? Who gives a rip? I'm not doing this because I'm worried about, I would prefer for people not to see me with my hands in the air or, or crying or, or on my knees. I would prefer for that not to happen. I would just prefer everybody be laughing all the time. I definitely don't want to be emotional, especially as a man and not in front of everybody. Who cares? Who really, really cares? Are, are, are we in church just to hear a speech? and maybe get inspired, or are we here to be challenged so that we can continue to change? I mean, have any of us arrived? I mean, I don't have my act together. You got your act all together? I'm, 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 I'm not in some place of arrival. And so I worship. And so I abandon myself. And so I give God what I love the most, and that's me first, because I love me the most. And you love you the most. That's why you're the first person you look for in a photograph that you're in. Could be 50 people and you're like, I look so fat. I, oh, why did I wear that shirt? I, you love you. You love, you are in a love affair with yourself. And that's why we spend so much time on the outward. Even when you don't have hair, you spend time on the outward. And so little on the inward. And yet it's amazing that God doesn't even look on, uh, at all the stuff that we spend so much time on. He looks at the heart. What a scary thought. That we're given the least amount of attention to what God looks at the most. That should leave you awake at night. See, God doesn't ask for leftovers. He asks for the first and the best. And if blessing flows from obedience with Abraham as our example, obedience will, will part with what we love the most to do what God asks of us. I mean, do we think it's ours? Is that why we hang on to it? I mean, do you think that's yours? You think the house is yours? That, I don't care if that house is paid off, it ain't yours. That car paid off, it ain't yours. It's not yours, it's God's. Everything you own is God's. If you owned any of it, you could take it with you. But it ain't leaving. It's earthly, it's temporal, and it's saying the only thing that you will take with you when you go, when you leave this earth, is the influence that you've been upon others' lives for all eternity. 
It's the only thing. And you don't even get to choose to take them with you. I discipled them in the Lord. I led them to the Lord. You don't even get to take them with you. That's God's call. And yet we kill ourselves and, we, and we're working so hard on all of these things that aren't even gonna last for all eternity. We make that the focal point. Probably depriving ourselves of years on this earth in the process. It's gotta be why Deuteronomy 6, 5, when talking about how we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you must, must. It's like a non-negotiable for God. He wants you to love him with all that you are. All that you are. Not with what's easiest or convenient, not with that which sits right with you. Well, Pastor John, I'm not a religious person. Great, neither am I. I'm probably the least religious person you know, and I'm the pastor. I want a relationship with the living God. That's what changed me. That's what I'll preach. I want the word of God to come alive every time I read it because I need it. And call me selfish. I go to the word for me first. I need, I need, I need. It's me, it's me standing in the need of prayer. And God, as I'm changing, I make myself available for your continued use. If I get stagnant, if I get complacent, if I'm compromising, I get it. Genesis 22, 18, I love it. All because you obeyed me, you've obeyed me. Notice the promises how God promised Abraham his descendants would be like the stars of the sky, the sand and the seashore, all because you've obeyed me. One act of obedience. You have no idea how many lives are on the other side of a one simple act of obedience. You have no idea. And it's amazing, whenever God speaks to you, you could be in a crowded sanctuary, but it's like you're all alone with him. I love that. It's why I close my eyes, because I want to be as alone as I possibly can. I don't want to notice how cool Corbin's hair is and why I don't have any anymore. I don't want to get jealous. I don't want to get caught up. Oh, he's just doing that. He's flaunting it. If he throws it back once, if he throws it back once, I'm going, going after him. I don't want to, I don't want to notice. I don't want to get caught up in my sons playing the guitar or singing or playing the drums. I don't want to get caught up into that. I, I, I want, I want Jesus and I want to feel all alone with him. Something's wrong when we don't want to be all alone with God or if we could even deceive ourselves into thinking that we never are. For some, it's a very uncomfortable thing in worship. Because it starts to get intimate and then, you know, we start to gooseneck and we start to look around and, and we, when, man, we should be zeroing in. Zeroing in. It's an amazing when you're not aware of God's, God's eyes on you and you want to be looking at everybody else and God saying, hey, 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 I'm trying to get your attention. These people have prayed and they've prepared to usher you in the presence of God. Hey, 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 hey. 
Don't worry about the body of Christ. It's Christ's body, not yours. Colin and I were talking um, the other day as we were um, headed out to go fishing and he was talking about a Bob Sorge book that he'd been reading and how Bob Sorge said that worship leaders who are more mindful of themselves and have lost how to, the, the, the whole concept, how God wants to use them to usher people into the presence of God. Bob Sorge made the, the analogy, it's like a, a waiter that comes over to a couple and is waiting on them and is hitting on that man's wife, that man's bride. And how worship leaders who have lost their focus and have lost the, the grasp, the reality that they are being used by God to usher people into the presence of God and want attention from the very bride that is supposed to be leading into God's presence. It's like they're hitting on Jesus' bride. Man, are you hitting on Jesus' bride? Is the bride of Christ supposed to provide something for you? Or are you a lover of God and you're just grateful to be a part of his spotless bride? I'm just grateful. No wonder why David said, man, I, I'm, I'm good with just being a doorkeeper in the house of God. I'm good. Just, just let me be there, but I'll, I'll, I'll handle the door. King, David said that. No wonder why he was a man after God's own heart. So let me offer you a few challenges as we're starting to wind down here. So genuine fatherly love, Abraham being our example, doesn't choke or control, but releases and willingly lets go. Genuine fatherly love denies self as source and acknowledges God as source. Well, God, you gave them, you gave it to me. Why wouldn't I honor you with it? Genuine fatherly love faces paralyzing fear and steps out in producing faith. I love this one. Genuine fatherly love can place on God's altar what you'd love to keep. God, it's yours. It's yours. Are you attached to his blessings or are you attached to the blesser? Genuine fatherly love can give to God in a moment what it took years to accomplish. Abraham being our example. Genuine fatherly love can be obedient when it makes little sense. You don't find anywhere in scripture where God in his word has Abraham saying, this is crazy. This is, this is nuts. Who would ask this? What? Early the next morning, grabbed his servants, donkey and his son. The lad and I are gonna go yonder and worship. That wasn't the conversation that God had with Abraham. Genuine fatherly love can be obedient when it makes little sense and it can believe for years when you know God's in it. Can believe for years when you know God's in it. God's in this somehow, some way I know. Can believe for years because God is in it. And has he not proven himself faithful there and there and there? We allow the devil to use our memories to remember bad things allow the Holy Spirit to use your memories to remember good things. 
to remind you of God's word spoken over your life, to remind you of faithfulness throughout the years, God's faithfulness to you. That's what your memories are for. It's why God gave them to you. The devil didn't give you your memory. God did, created you with the ability to remember. Why? Because he wants you to remember all the good that he's done. No wonder why we're supposed to publish his wonderful acts, his marvelous acts. No wonder why we're supposed to give testimony because it causes you to remember and it encourages people that are believing. Genuine fatherly love can give God what you believed years for because you know it was always his. And then one last point I want to draw. Maybe you didn't know this. But there are two commands that God gave Abraham. One is here in Genesis 22, go to the land of Moriah. And the other one is in Genesis 12:1, go to the land that I will show you. The beautiful thing, if you look in the original language though, is it just doesn't say, go to the land of Moriah. It just doesn't say, go to the land that I will show you. It says, go by yourself in each instance. Go by yourself. Yeah, 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 but, but Pastor John, Abraham in Genesis 12 brought his nephew Lot and his wife and kids. He brought Sarah. He brought, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Pastor John in Genesis 22, Abraham brought a couple servants, his son Isaac. So why would it say, go by yourself? Because obedience creates a moment of God-ordained lowliness where you must respond alone and no one can stand with you. Obedience requires you to respond to God alone and you can bring nobody with you when God's speaking to you. There's a God-ordained loneliness to obedience and you answer the call all alone. Even if you're in a crowded room, you respond all alone. And you must be willing to go there or you'll never leave from there. And some people can't handle being all alone with God, that feeling like, oh my gosh, the presence of the Lord's getting stronger in here. What's he gonna ask me? I've done my time. I've served in the ministry. I, well, then get ready to go home then to be with Jesus if there's no more work for you. I've seen 80, 90-year-olds that are productive. Lynn Schmidt's knocking 90 years old and she's still leading people to the Lord. And I don't think you're going to stop her. If you're a telemarketer, she's probably led you to the Lord already. <laughs> she tried to lead me to the Lord one time. I, she called me by mistake, and, uh, or, or I called her. She didn't know who I was, and she, and she started to lead me to the Lord. I go, Lynn, 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 it's Pastor John. I love Jesus with all of my heart. Save your breath. <laughs> Isn't that what, geez, Pastor Lee's book, Flourish, isn't that what life's supposed to be all about? That we're to flourish like palm trees? Even in old age, we'll still be bearing fruit? Are you checking out? Are you, are, is there such a thing as spiritual retirement? Man, find me that. Find me where the patriarchs, find me where our spiritual mothers and fathers were just checking out. The Apostle John, even when he was in his 90s, people were still traveling to Ephesus and he was still teaching them. I 
I tell you, there's work to do. There's work to do. And we need you. Real obedience can go it alone. Godly fathers go it alone so that they can lead generations to come where they've been. How are you going to take me where you've never been? What are you going to do? Are you going to talk to me about the past, about the things that you'd experienced? Or are you going to tell me that this is what God's showing you today? One last thought, and we're going to have to wrap it up. And we've got all kinds of eats out there for you fathers and that, that the men's ministry has provided. And uh, I know that you probably have meals planned. You're going to celebrate Father's Day, but we're hoping you grab a bite to eat before you go home today. Where Abraham sacrificed or was about to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. We know that that's where David bought Arunah's threshing floor. Remember when David sinned by numbering the people of Israel? And a plague broke out, and God told David to go by Arunah's threshing floor. Arunah sees the king and his entourage coming, and he offers to give it to David, and David says, no way. I'm not going to offer something to God that costs me nothing. We also know that it's the place where Solomon built the temple. I think it's also significant that as Abraham, Isaac, and his servants were walking, that they arrived at Mount Moriah on the third day. Some, not all, theologians believe that it's also the place where Jesus was crucified. Many believe that this site was the site of the second temple, Herod's temple in Jesus' day. Some theologians believe that it was a very place where Jesus was crucified. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son, son he loved. David refused to offer sacrifices somewhere that cost him nothing, bought it. Solomon, David's son, built the temple, the first temple. And some believe it's where Jesus was sacrificed, God's only son, whom God loved so very much. Where godly fathers are obedient, sacrifices can be made to stop plagues, where godly fathers are obedient, magnificent structures honoring God can be built. One act of obedience. One act of obedience. What is God asking of you today? Are you his? Are you his? Or did you once walk closely with him and maybe haven't for years, if you'd be honest? Oh, Pastor, God used to use me mightily. He doesn't want to anymore. He's put you on the sidelines. Or he's got plans for you. And you've been reluctant to find out. You've been reluctant to be all alone in that God-ordained moment of loneliness, loneliness with God 
because you just don't want to know what he's got for you. He's not trying to keep it from you. You're trying to keep yourself from him. And I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to hearts in this place. And I've been praying today that God would minister healing to those that have been damaged by earthly fathers. How beautiful today that the Heavenly Father would heal and restore the damage that earthly fathers have done. If you're watching with us live this morning, you've been hurt by an earthly father, your Heavenly Father can heal, He can restore your life. You're present this morning, you've been hurt by an earthly father, your Heavenly Father can restore any damage that's been done. Maybe a father, your biological father, was never a presence in your life or he came and he left. Isn't it amazing that out of all the descriptions of God the Father, he's said to be an everlasting father. He never ceases to be your father. So if you could just close your eyes with me.